They had the promise of God that they would drive the inhabitants out. God would not send them into the land without preparing the land for them first. And now they were prepared to go in and take their inheritance. And this is where the rub was. In order to take their promised land, they first had to fight for their inheritance. When God spoke to Joshua, three times he told him, be strong and courageous. In other words, have the courage to do what needs to be done and do it with all your strength. They started their journey into the land knowing that there would be battles to be fought. They would be fighting a strong and entrenched and a fortified foe. This would not be easy. But this time they trusted that God, who fought for them in the past, would do so again in the future. In preparation for his death, Moses spoke to the people, and he told them about what would happen if they obeyed God in the promised land. And we find this in Deuteronomy chapter 28. It's quite a long passage. But I want you to look and see what God is promising them. If you fully obey the Lord, your God, and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set, high above, set you high above all the nations on the earth. All the, these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed, and the crops of your land, and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds, and the lambs of your flock. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and when you go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction but flee from you in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on your bonds and upon everything you put your hand to. The Lord, your God, will bless you in the land he has given you. The Lord will establish you as his holy people as he promised you on oath if you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. Then all the people of the earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will fear you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity In the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, and the crops of your ground, in the land that he swore to your forefathers to give you, the Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send you rain on your land in season, and to bless the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day, and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top and never the bottom. Do not turn aside from any of the commands I give you today, says Moses. To the right or to the left, following other gods to serve them. It's a long passage, but look at that. What blessings. <coughs> All the promises of God were available to them 
if they obeyed him out of love for what he had already done for them. This was the rest that God was promising them. He would provide everything that they needed to live in a good, good, a rich, rewarding relationship with him. Everything they needed would be provided. Everything they needed to worship him, he provided. The land would bring forth its crops as it should. The herds and the flocks would prosper. The rain would come as it should. From grain to flocks to herds, he even provided the sacrifices they were to give back to him. He would give them the freedom to do what needed to be done, to get on with their lives, to live and to rest in him. He even gave them freedom from oppression from their enemies. He would bring freedom from the stress and the strain of wondering what the next day or the next day would bring. Isn't that wonderful? But there was a proviso. They had to obey the Lord. When Jesus was asked, Teacher, what's the greatest command? He replied in Mark 12, The most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is like this, is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, said the young man. You were right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. In fact, it can be argued that every one of the 360 other laws in the Old Testament are basically based upon expansions, perhaps interpretations, of the Ten Commandments. But Jesus, when asked, which is the greatest, chose instead to speak about the love that motivates the law. Following a bunch of laws is not what God is all about. The laws were there for a reason, yes. As Israel follows God's laws, it showed them what God was like. It built their relationship with him. As in any relationship, as it grows, the love is demonstrated. The demonstration affirms the love. Even the first of the Ten Commandments starts with, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Even in the laws, even in the first law, there is a reminder that the God of love demonstrated his strength as he took them out of Egypt where they had been under oppression. But like any relationship, 
deciding to commit to a relationship can be scary. They are always what-ifs. Starting out on a journey of faith can be a scary thing for any new Christian, and many older Christians too. Like Israel, when you cry out to God in bondage, when you said to him, God, I can't take this anymore, or God, I can't do this by myself, he took you out of the world, figuratively Egypt, in order that he would take you into the promised land. He didn't take you out of Egypt and say, there you are, get on with it. It was always his intention to take you into the promised land where you can live in his protection and blessings. But now we see something. When Israel got to the promised land, it had to be taken by force. Well, this can't be heaven. We can't enter heaven by force. We don't enter our eternal life by our own works. No, because we enter eternal life by what Jesus has already done for us. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves, not through works, so no one can boast. Your salvation is a gift. Your salvation is not earned. But there are some things that a Christian must fight for. The promised land flowing with milk and honey had the threat of great fortifications and big giants. These are the things that try to stop us from receiving the blessings that God wants us to take. They are there already. They want to stop us going in and taking what is actually ours. There were giants in the land that put Israel's faith and commitment to God to the test. Like them, when we begin to mature in our Christian walk, we face opposition from big, fearsome, entrenched foes. They've probably been there a long time. Giants that try to stop us from maturing, moving deeper into the promised land. What kind of giants? I'll throw some examples at them, at you. Giants like the giant of fear. I don't know where my Christian walk will take me. How will I survive in the unknown? What will my friends, my family, and my colleagues think of me as I start my, or continue my walk with Christ? What about the giant of pride? Look at my good works. I deserve to go to heaven. Look at my spirituality. Isn't God lucky to have me? What about the enemies who built great big fortifications? Walls we've put up because we've been hurt in the past and we now won't let anyone come near us. And you know, sometimes that includes God. Walls we've built because we're happy where we are spiritually and we don't want to go any further. 
goes hand in hand with the giant of fear. What about, this is a big one, what about the inhabitants who control the trade along the coast? My career path will suffer if I don't compromise my Christianity. How can I make my fortune and be a Christian in this cutthroat world? And one of the strongest of all, just like the Jebusites, specially mentioned, who were only conquered when King David, the ancestor of Jesus, finally took the city a couple of hundred years later. They were there a long, long time. You read the accounts, the people were embarrassed that they were still there. Condemnation. I'm not good enough to be a Christian. I've done bad things before I was a Christian. I've done bad things since I've been a Christian. The fact is, everybody faces giants like that. Everyone goes through things like that. Things that cause a crisis of faith. Things that keep causing us problems in our Christian life. Perhaps it's unconfessed sin. Perhaps it's nagging doubts. Maybe it's self-condemnation. But for every giant, God has already prepared the land. Israel were not supposed to ignore them or compromise with them. They were told to deal with the giants by facing them, confronting them, and wiping them out. Until the inhabitants were dealt with, there could be no peace for Israel. But like Israel, if that's us, you're not alone. When Israel crossed the Jordan, they set up a memorial to remind them of God's work, as John showed us last time. If you have giants in your land, and you are thinking they are too big for me alone, you're absolutely right. They are too big for you alone. But remember that God has promised to be there with you. He has prepared the land. As you step out in faith and ask for God's help in defeating these giants, God will be in your corner. He will be giving you strength. He will be giving you wisdom and guidance and perseverance. He has given you a family around you to help you and support you. Look around. He has given you the examples of people in the past who've been there already. People we can learn from. If nothing else, I would like you to remember the promised land is where God always intended you to end up. It's a land full of absolute, complete faith and trust in Him, knowing that as you live in a relationship with Him, He will bless and prosper you. It doesn't talk about riches and wealth but living under God's protection, his blessing, his supply. God honors this kind of reliance. He acts accordingly. On a final note, I'd like you to understand that it doesn't say the giants will never try to come back. What it does say, Deuteronomy 28, 7, 
The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction and flee from you in seven. He's got it under control. They will come back. But God is fighting in your corner. You know, I'm always amazed by some of the older members of this congregation. They are the ones who have learned the lessons about resting in God. Whatever life throws at them, they have learned to trust and rely on God. I sometimes think that we really do underrate these people. Go, learn from them. Look around. If someone is saying, I don't have food from tomorrow for tomorrow, God will supply your need. We've learned that. We need 565,000 pounds to build a back for our church. God will supply our need. I sometimes think that, speaking of the older people here, the people who we can learn from, if you were to rush in, waving your hands around, shouting, there's a giant rock from space hurtling towards us right now, they'd shrug their shoulders and say, praise God, I'm going home. People who have learned to live, to rely, and to trust in God. So please understand, having giants in our land is natural. We all have them. We all have to deal with them. We should acknowledge them, even if only to ourselves, so that we can deal with them, confront with them, and trusting God, overcome when Joshua and Caleb returned from spying out the land, they all had the same report. But it was those two who trusted in God that they could overcome. We are well able to overcome them, they said. Joshua led the people into the promised land. But it's interesting to note that only Caleb is recorded as having taken and claimed possession, taken possession of his inheritance as the promised land. Caleb was given Hebron. Hebron was when King David was first crowned. And Hebron means a fellowship with God. And I'd like you to think about that. Because as the book of Hebrews tells us several times, the promise of entering God's rest still stands. Thank you, John.